Hello and welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. I'm tempted to just change the theme song to like a funeral march or something. <laughs> there, or the, uh, the Empire song from Star Wars, maybe more appropriate, depending on your, uh, uh, your view of things. I, I wonder if we're going to get to know your view on things today, Eric. Rob Manfred is sort of like Emperor Palpatine, yeah, so you, like, you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's um, we could do the um, what was it, Don Meredith on Monday Night Football? I, fe- Turn I feel out like the lights. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Manfred, sort of more of a, a Vader figure during the bidding of the the owners, but Vader's also you know iconic and cool. And yeah, uh, he's more he's more Kylo Ren than Vader, and not yeah. Like early Kylo Ren. Well, you know, this may become a Star Wars podcast, even though I know you're not the biggest fan. Uh, I mean, I've seen all. I've seen the nine movies, the only nine movies that exist. So, okay. um, yeah. Well, you know, some stuff happened in baseball. I, I'm sure <laughs> everyone listening to this. That, if there's anyone we're breaking this news to, uh, there's not going to be at least uh, the first two series of baseball. Probably a lot more. Maybe more. We'll say more. Uh, we're gonna. Eric has opinions, uh, and so do I, I guess. And we'll break all of those down. We'll keep you up on the news, kind of give you our take on it. No Dodgers rewind today. Eric was too depressed. But we do have five questions from Craig. All of that after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Eric, is there a labor crisis in baseball today? <laughs> yes. I don't. I still don't remember that line. One of these times I'm going to actually remember the Simpsons line, but I didn't. Um, but no, I was going to say we don't have a Dodgers rewind this week. We do have a Dodgers pause. Oh, no? Um, okay. Um, yeah, my yeah. opening line was uh, uh, to the intro until I forgot it was going to be normally, and I texted this to you yesterday, normally when there's a contest between two groups of, of baseball people in March and no one wins, you're really happy usually. Oh, man, that would have been a perfect, a perfect, I mean, we technically haven't titled the podcast yet, so like maybe uh, we'll figure out some way to tie that in. But, but I think yeah, you're an ardent um, defender then in a spring training tie everyone no one loses and everyone wins and this is the opposite of that yeah it's everyone loses um baseball um major league baseball um just generally are being jerk faces right now um i think is the technical term it's a and i it's believe a legal it's term. the major league baseball that's right the major league baseball um so we are recording this on march 2nd uh, on March 1st, uh, after nine uh, straight days of bargaining in Florida, the home, the spring training home of the Marlins and Cardinals, um, 
players and owners could not uh, come to an agreement. Although um, I would argue you know, they they made definitely made progress. Um, uh, they just didn't come to a deal, and it got to the uh, MLB induced uh, deadline um, during the MLB induced lockout, and MLB decided uh, to cancel the first week of regular season games. They officially canceled the first two series for everyone. So normally uh, opening day was going to be March 31st. Now it's no earlier than April 7th uh, for the Dodgers, who that's a Thursday. The Dodgers are actually off that day. So some series will start April 8th um, and doesn't really feel confident that they're, they're going to get a deal done in time to even make that date. So if we, for our selfish purposes, uh, the podcast bet, um, when asked uh, to predict a start date for opening day uh, this year, I said April 1st, you said June 1st. So May 1st is technically the break-even point, the tie, if you will, which I'm obviously rooting for for tie purposes. Um, but <laughs> um, you are in a very solid position at this point much was, much more solid it was than really interesting I, I watching the coverage and i'm sure a lot a lot of our listeners were like this where uh there was intense pessimism almost the entire week um from uh, just a, a litany of reporters i think um jeff passan had a was the one i was kind of following i think most closely um and then uh, I, so it would have been sunday sunday night is that right am i getting my if I, no Monday night. Monday night. Mo- Monday was the long, the marathon day. Yeah. Uh, um, everyone tricked themselves into listening to Bob Nightingale, uh, who, along with uh, I think John Heyman and a couple others, were saying the deal, deal was inching, rounding third, inching towards uh, uh, a, a, a deadline deal, and then it didn't happen. And then afterwards, the players, you know took the position of we were never that close it was never that close unanimously um denied the denied the offer and you know i'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle but reading what i see definitely seems closer to the player's prerogative and that a lot of the positioning of how close they were was the owners attempting to make it seem like the players were the one that turned down this great almost done offer yeah and we're not talking out of school here either the players have said this directly yes. um, that this was an ownership <sighs> PR ploy. And I will say this, the, um, the one or there's a huge like problem just generally in how labor negotiations get covered like a sporting event, which they are very much not. And so like, there's an ebb and flow to it, you know, like, and it's like, Oh, you know, it seems like the way the coverage is mostly centered for, for most folks who cover sports is that someone is leading at, at a certain point, right? Like, and, and that's how you have to frame it every single time. And um, there are, I will say it's good to appreciate the the national reporters who are very good at passing along information um, and providing context, the proper context. I would say Evan Drellick, who is focused mm-hmm. on labor issues at The Athletic, is excellent at this. Um in terms of both breaking news, which he is great at, and also presenting it in proper context rather than, um, in some cases, in rumor reporting, um, some 
folks almost literally just say what they hear and like basically are delivering a message from one side to the other publicly. Um, and I think that's sort of what happened on Monday. Like they met for, I think it was like 16 and a half hours on Monday. That was the original, um, again, major league baseball (laughs) imposed deadline, um, to say we're, we're going to, um, cancel games if we don't have a deal by then they got, um, they got far enough, uh, uh, along in the process that they extended it another day and then they just couldn't come out to it. So the, the most damning thing I think of all this Ross Stripling had an interview, I believe it was with, um, shy, uh, Davidi, uh, in uh, Toronto about the process talking about how in super late night, uh, negotiations on Monday and this was past midnight, he said uh, the la- the owners offered to the players. They tried to sneak um, something in, like stuff in there in the fine print. I think some of this was like, um, I'm not sure exactly what it was. It's probably like the rule change type stuff or the, you know, the international draft. It was, and it was like stuff they hadn't like bargained or talked about yet. And he made the point. Uh, I'll link to it obviously in the show notes, but um, that they must have thought we were just dumb ball players or something like that. Just trying to sneak it in over on a tired uh, end of day negotiation type thing. So um, like that kind of stuff. And then the reporting of the Monday night stuff was, you know, like you mentioned Bob Nightingale and John Heyman, like, Oh man, there people feel there's more momentum toward a deal. And then um, folks were presenting what the, um, at that point was the MLB offer, uh, you know, details of the offer. And the, I guess the reason to do this, which the players have pointed out is that if a deal doesn't get done, it's because the players rejected and then they, they are the ones squashing the momentum when it, in fact, it's, it's sort of the, um, owners, um, that's their whole plan. Like it's more of a, a PR play than an actual bargaining play, which is like the most like one of the more annoying parts of the whole process. So yeah, it's just, um, it's so dumb. Like none of this had to happen. There's not, my biggest thing is there's nothing that they're arguing over that is like a massive overhaul to the sport. This is like in the 94 strike, um, owners wanted a salary cap. Players were dead set against it. Um, it was like a fundamental change with how things were going in 81. It was like, um, the early days of free agency and, and figuring out the like compensation pattern and owners were like, wait, we're spending way too much money. We can't do this. They wanted to sort of overhaul the system. There's nothing overall, like all the offers are like essentially the same system. There's, there's some new things like, um, uh, what is it? Um, well, for one, uh, the the players want a bonus pool for like pre-arb guys, the 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 younger players who who don't, um, you know, who who don't get paid as much. Um, and they're arguing over the amount of that money. They both agree to the idea of a bonus pool for that group. Um, there, that's new. The there's a draft lottery, which I I don't remember what the you know, it's all contingent stuff. But like I think they were they got to a point where I think both sides agreed to like five, um, 
the the first five spots are subject to a lottery rather than just worse record. So just a like one way to sort of try to prevent tanking. Um, there's uh, the I think they part of the sort of uh, back and forth offers. Uh, they're probably going to end up limiting the number of times a player can be optioned in a year. I believe five was the number that was uh, bandied about. That's less of a direct economic thing as it is a stop fucking around with players thing. <laughs> Basically like M- Mitch White last year, right? Counting spring training, which is the like the first option because he didn't make the team. Um, he was optioned 11 times last year. The Dodgers, are, are, do this. they're not the only team. That, this was just an example. Like Edwin Uceta was... Um, I believe eight times. So like it just, that's ha- happened. So, um, that's more of a, a quality of life, uh, issue, I, I think for, for players. And, you know, that's just one of the things they're bargaining for. The, the other thing from the owner's side is they want to expand playoffs. They ideally, um, they would want a 14 team, um, playoff. Uh, they've talked also about a 12 team playoff. Um, the thing is the, both situations would create a wild card round rather than a like single wild card game in each league. That extra round has already been sold to ESPN um, in the TV contract. So um, I believe Andrew Marchand of the New York Post had this. Um, the if it's a fourteen team playoff, which would mean six uh, wild card series, three in each league. First team, the number one team gets a buy into the division series. Um, that would mean an extra $100 million a year. Um, and then if if it's a 12-team playoff, um, it would be eighty an extra $85 million a year. So I actually thought, I didn't think the difference, I thought the difference was going to be larger between the two mm-hmm. systems than that. And so that that's a huge thing. The other thing is like the owners want to put um, advertisements on uniforms, like sponsorship patches and stuff, which we've seen in other sports. Jeff Passan reported um, that as, I think, $150 million annually. So the most, like, structural change stuff is ownership benefit here. Um, so it's just a matter of, like, what's the give and take. But these are also things that both sides have sort of agreed in principle, like, to include. It's just figuring out how to split the pie rather than overhaul the sport, which is, like, it's a really, really petty and dumb thing to like to argue over. I, pe- numerous people have made the point. Like Joe Sheehan's been on this in his newsletter and and on Twitter. You know, if if the owners simply like accepted the current player proposal, like as is, with not even the owner proposal, just accepting what the players want, um, it's owner friendly still. Like generally, because the 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 divide in the sport is. The last over the last five years, revenues have grown, salaries have stayed the same or actually gone slightly down, but they're basically at like 2015 levels now. The owners will counter with, by saying, "Yeah, but we had the pandemic; it like screwed us in 2020." But really, all that was was a blip on the radar in like a long string of uh, bulletproof profit uh, years, basically, and that's. You know, the players shared that risk too. They didn't get paid, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for two thirds of the season, so it wasn't a, a it was a it was a shared risk. You can't say the pandemic like only hurt the owners. So yeah, it's just um, 
it's a very dumb thing to argue over, especially that since they, when the owners locked out the players, um, they, they didn't make an offer for six weeks. Um, so like there was just nothing. And then it was just very slow trickle until this last, you know, nine, nine straight days of bargaining. So you just hope that right now they're like, they left Florida. I guess they're going to still bargain in New York. We don't know the dates, but they kind of have to get on this like pretty soon here. Like by the end of this week, they should still be bargaining because, um, you know, they want to do like a, a, a relatively normal spring training, like maybe a four weeks type thing. Um, you basically have to like add a month to wherever we're at as, as for like the earliest opening day could be, cause there's gotta be days to like ratify the contract. Then you start spring training and then to have a, you know, reasonable spring training to then opening day. So if they don't have a deal done like a week from now, there's not, they're not going to make the, the April 8th, uh, opening day or whatever. So it's all just this stupid, stupid thing that it's, it's very frustrating and, um, yeah, uh, it's, it sucks is what it does. Do you think this is just a vast conspiracy to make sure the Dodgers never get an all-star game? I, you know, that's possible or it could be, it's a vast conspiracy to give a reason to potentially discount a championship oh. for other teams. Like, you know, uh, like let's say this season, this season goes dark and for a while and then it's like a 107 game season and then the Dodgers win it again. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, can't even win a full season. What a, <laughs> what a joke franchise. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, look, it's a conspiracy. Let's just say it. it. It's a clear conspiracy. I think we've proven it. So it is pretty funny, like on some level, like in a very, very dark, gross level that, um, I, I didn't, I didn't think they would miss games, so I'm not in a position to say this, but it would be still shocking if there's no, all, if they like <laughs> somehow miss the all-star game this year. But I mean, that's also hilarious yeah. in a, in the worst possible way. So, yeah, I, I think, I think our May 1st tiebreaker deadline is going to be a really, like, I think that's kind of. The, there, there was some report that um, the, the players have, the players, excuse me, the owners have some flexibility on losing like twenty-ish games, twenty-two games, I think it was, and that uh, a lot of the TV money stays the same as long as the season's one hundred forty games. Um, I don't have a source on that. I apologize. It's just something I, I read quickly, um, which makes you feel like they're kind of okay nuking most of April. Um, but then it'll be like how, you know, do they actually acquiesce to the player demands or they, do they extend a little further? It'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Uh, you may still, uh, win the bet, even though ultimately I was more cynical and therefore I really do win. No, but... you, you won the spirit of the bet <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, so like the, oh, so the thing on this, so my sort of theory on this is when they do actually start negotiating again. Uh, I was, so both, both, um, the, the other thing that's super annoying, so like, um, both sides had press conferences, um, after, uh, in Florida, uh, on, on, uh, Tuesday before, I mean, after things shut down and the, you know, Manfred announced that the, uh, they're, uh, you know, canceling the first week, answered some questions. There's 
obviously I'm sure people have seen the clip uh, where he's like laughing at some point. And that's sort of the lasting image of this. The, um, uh, you know, three weeks ago he said, you know, it'd be a disastrous outcome for the sport. And it just seems like they didn't really Not that disastrous <laughs> to, to try <laughs> to avoid it, you know, like, yeah. and so, um, and then the funny part uh, in a diabolical way. So MLB network and ESPN, uh, had the Manfred press conference live. Um, they started the uh, MLB PA uh, press conference and then cut away at some point. <laughs> like, you know, both rights holders, I mean, MLB Network is literally owned by Major League Baseball, and it's just funny. It was streamed elsewhere um, on, like, sports uh, SNY in New York, and I think a couple other places had it, but that was just pretty funny, and I, I saw a couple players sort of tweet to that effect and like that's that's sort of where we're uh what we're dealing with right now so um but in in the players press conference max scherzer who's on the executive um sub bargaining subcommittee um he did a pretty good job of like sort of laying out the a lot of the key points the really it is like they they're trying to get younger players paid more that's part why they did the bonus pool that's why they want larger increases in the minimum salary. And the thing is, they're they're not again not that far off on the minimum salary part. I think MLB's last offer had seven hundred thousand in the first year. MLB PA was at seven twenty five. There are increases in both over the life of the deal. Um, last year was five hundred seventy thousand five hundred. So that is a pretty substantial increase. Like that's about that's a little higher than I expected them to end up at there. So like. Again, making progress in all, a lot of these things, it's just a matter of uh, figuring it out. But his reasoning, he was asked about, um, I think, where they're at, at least in – it's important to know, like, the reported stuff that's out. And where they're – when I say, like, they're sort of in agreement on, they're not really in agreement. It's all contingent on this, this, and this. So it, if you're not in agreement on everything, you're not in agreement on anything. But where they're sort of at right now, it seems like, is a 12-team playoff. Um which has uh, two buys instead of one. Um, so the top two division winners get buys into the division series. And Scherzer sort of explained that as um, they wanted to reward not only division winners, but also like this, you know, the seeding within division winners. So it's not just important to win the division, it's important to. Um, be a top seed and you, so you're the, if you're if you're like trying to win the division you still try and and to get like one of those top two seeds um and then you know figuring it out that way in my head i sort of had always thought that for the players to get what they want they'd eventually cave on the 14 million or the 14 team um postseason at the end and that'll get the owners to make a, like a final jump on like the competitive debt balance tax threshold. I think they're currently first year right now is 220 million for the owners versus 230 230 excuse me 238 for the players. Uh, last year was 210. Again, that has not grown. It's grown about less than half the rate that team uh, league revenues have, uh, you know, over the last like 20 years. Um so that that's sort of where they're at, and then there's also the bonus pool issue. I believe those numbers right now are eighty-five million for the players, which is less than three million dollars per team. 
Um, and I believe the owners are offering, it's either 25 or $30 million. I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes. I don't have it in front of me. So that they're reasonably far off there, but it's, it's things that can be sort of, um, negotiated. But I, I sort of figured one, when, when it got to deal time or close to it, that would sort of be where the players would make a final move and, and to get like, you know, uh, like a last ditch, like, um, you know, thought for or like move from the owners. I think that's it's probably what happens. So I don't know. Well, we'll see when. Any other thoughts before we move on? Um, uh, not really. I'm writing something about the competitive balance tax uh, today. It'll I'm sure it'll be out before you listen to this. Uh, so I will link to that again in the show notes. But uh, that's kind of it. I thought we're not there yet. I. I Cynically was going to do a Dodgers rewind of Michael Bush um, uh, this um, this episode, but not not the Dodgers prospect uh, who was rated in a handful of top 100 lists. Um, he was the 2019 first round pick or a 2019 first round pick of the team. Um, but this is the Michael Bush who was one of the replacement players uh, in 1995 uh, for the Dodgers who ended up... Um, uh, he did uh, eventually make the team, but then like was not allowed in the MLBPA, and you know Brett Butler <laughs> basically like and other people treated him like shit because he was a scab in, in their eyes. So, um, but I didn't I didn't want to go down that cynical path because I'm already in a bad headspace. So that's where we're at. So we're that's why we have a Dodgers pause instead of a Dodgers rewind this time. I, so. I have a trivia question for you. Yeah. I asked uh, you before we went on air who was who won the last game of the 1994 season before the, the before the strike, uh, and I told you it was Ramon Martinez. Who won the first game after the work stoppage? You're going to try to answer that after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Who won the first game, the first Dodgers game of the 1995 season? So in 95, the strike was still going. Um, it got, um, it went to the National Labor Relations Board and uh, they got an injunction um, to uh, restart um, from Sonia Sotomayor Um and they, it was a 144-game season instead of 162. They started in late April, so it was a, slightly before Hideo Nomo's debut. I so will, it wasn't him. I will let you know they played the Florida Marlins. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 95. Let's go, uh, and I believe... Mm, I believe Oral Hershiser, that's the offseason he left to go to Cleveland. So, like, Ramon is the go-to for, like, most mid-90s stuff here. But I'm going to, let's say, 
Oh man. Was there a weird I, I'm gonna just go off book and was it Tom Candiotti? It was Ramon Martinez. <laughs> there you go. All right. Connecting. Yeah. I, connecting. I, I, I talked myself out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Appreciate that. Hey, well, I have good news for you. I have more trivia questions for you. Yeah. Because it's uh time for questions to Greg. We love them. We love it. Man, we're just swapping all sorts of rules today. Uh, it was Up is down, black is white. Baseball, baseball is not baseball. Yeah. <laughs> it was 50 years ago when uh, the MLBPA, uh, hey, I can say the for that. That's great. Authorized yeah. the first strike in Major League Baseball history. While resolution was soon reached, uh, MLB refused to pay the players for missed games. So teams played anywhere from 153 to 156 games. This week's trivia questions are about the Dodgers 1972 team that played 155 games. You ready? Sure. Pulling my answers up. Uh, Three baseball Hall of Famers played for the Dodgers. All of them were elected as a player as opposed to um, the Veterans Committee. Can Eric name these all-time greats? Um, Okay, so 72. uh, For sure... um, Hoyt Wilhelm and Frank Robinson. Correct, correct. And then, oh man. Oh man, what's the other one? Um, 72. Huh. Now, okay, I'm just mentally trying to sort of figure this out. Oh, um, yeah, Don Sutton. There you go. How old was uh, right, Hoy, Hoy Wilhelm in that season? Okay, so let's let's go here. Um, so he one oh oh, man, Joe Black, uh, one of our more recent Dodgers Rewinds, were, I think, um, what was, I forgot, what was the deal here? He Oh, so he won Rookie of the Year as a reliever. Hoyt Wilhelm, fellow rookie that year. I think finished slightly higher in MVP voting and second in rookie of the year, but I believe he was an old rookie. So I'm going to say he was 48 in 1972, 49 yeah, right oh, across the board. He was 29 and 52. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so funny. Uh, all right. Uh, two Dodgers led the team with 19 home runs in 1972. That is the lowest total to lead the team in the last 50 years, excluding 81 in 2020. Who were these sluggers? 19 home runs? You said? Uh, that's correct, yep. Um, let's go with... Um, oh, man. Let's go with... Robinson yep. and... Joe Ferguson? Willie Davis, but you did get Frank okay. Robinson. Nice. The Dodgers led, that's in that's in smart quotes, the NL with 162 errors in 155 games. <laughs> Four players had double-digit miscues. Can Eric identify them? I have some hints if you knew. A re- real quick aside, my favorite part of the trivia questions is the the, the synonyms uh, Craig has to come up with. <laughs> miscues, sluggers, uh, that's good. Batsman, yeah, that's uh, good. 
That's really good. Um, so I think I, he wasn't. Well, I'm just going to say Bill Russell. It was le- it wasn't the infield yet, but he was also like around and playing different positions. But I'm going to say Bill Russell is one. Bill Russell uh, led the team with 34 errors. <laughs> 34. Um, um, okay. So then, so 72. Um, I think, I think Wes Parker was still at first, but I, he was, I was, I was trying to back my way into figuring out where Bill Buckner played. And I don't know if he had double digit errors in the outfield. Um, wow. Uh, that's a long way to, go to not answer um so 34 errors for bill russell so i'm guessing he played a lot of short but oh man i wonder mm, well let's go maybe because he played third let's go with steve garvey second in the team of 28 third and first mm-hmm. um so and then once you've gotten the the Craig's first hint was that two would become part of the infield. Um, oh, I, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I was holding the hints back. I have yeah. one more hint for you from him, and then I can also, if you want, give you the positions that these players played. Uh, I'm going to hold off for now, sure. uh, but let's. I don't know. I'm just going to say Steve Yeager. Nope. Um. Okay. Let's go with, um, I don't remember if he was, I think he was on this team and I, but it would mean Bill Russell played somewhere else and it'd be weird that if he had 34 errors, not playing short, but I'm just going to say it, Maury Wills. Nope. Okay. So I'll take the other hint and do one more guess. Craig's, Craig's hint is one is known for the amount of consonants in his name. What? (laughs) Um, wait. Uh, Billy Grabarkowitz. There you go, with 11 errors in 43 games. And 11 consonants. No, uh, is it? Wait, maybe, I don't know. All right, my um, last hint for you before you're going to mm-hmm. get one more guess is the remaining player played second, third, shortstop, center field, left field, right field in 108 games. Uh, Lee Lacey? Bobby Valentine. Nice, all right. Last question. The 1972 Dodgers had five players with more than 400 plate appearances and nine or less home runs. No Dodgers team has had more than four of those players since then. Can Eric name those players? And for a bonus, can he name the four players from the 03 and the 09 Dodger teams who also accomplished those stats? Um, can you give me the the, the plate appearances and home yep, runs? 400 again? plate appearances, nine or less home runs. And there's nine of these players? Uh, so there um, are, it would be uh, five players in 72, four in 09, four in 03. I'm oh, seeing if, okay, five. I thought it was nine. Okay. And so, um, I'll, yeah. I'll go um, Bill Russell. Yep. Steve Yeager. Nope. Liar. Um, <laughs> I don't think he did much after his rookie or second season. So I'm going to go with Grabarkowitz here again. Uh, nope. God dang it. Um, Bill Buckner? Yep. Um, so you're missing so, three. All right. So Willie Davis and Frank Robinson had 19 home runs. We know that. So the outfield is pretty much covered. Oh, 
Uh, Wes Parker. Yep. I want to say, no, this isn't the year he had 47 doubles. Um, is it? No, I don't know. Um, so I'm missing one person? Two people. Oh. Um, you got Buckner, I, Parker, and Russell. I, <laughs> I can count. Um, let's go back to the, oh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, how let's go with Bobby Valentine. Yep. And... Let's go. Let's go with Steve Garvey. Manny Moda. Wow, nice. All right, you want to try for the bonus? Oh, the uh, so Same what's, what are the years? Same played and homerins, uh, 09 and 03. All right, let's go 09 first. Yep. Um, so this was in the time when I believe James Loney was on the. 13 home run, 90 RBI streak exactly um, of two straight years. Um, so I think it was not him. Um, so let's just run the list here. 09, um, 400 plate appearances, nine or fewer home runs. Um, so... Uh, oh, so, okay. Oh, nine. Um, uh, Juan Pierre. Yep. Um, oh, God. Um, Orlando Hudson. Yep. And then, so, oh, okay. Um, was this in the, uh, Raphael for call. Oh man! All right, so now it's a matter of Camp Ethier Manny are out, Casey Blake out. I thought for sure. Oh man! I thought for sure Russell Martin had enough home runs. I'm just going to say Russell Martin. Correct. On the money. Nice. I'll let you know how many he had as I look that up. O three. You want to give it a stab? O uh, three. Okay. Um, Russell Martin had seven home runs in O nine. Nice. Okay. So this is more. This is more stabby. Oh, that was the terrible offensive team. Um. Uh. So. Uh. Alex Cora, Cesar Torres. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Gotta go up the middle. <laughs> um. So this is shoulder Sean Green, but he obviously had more than nine. I'm just. I'm, I'm going to give of, you a hint and just say you said you should go up the middle. Keep 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 doing that. <laughs> right, but the the problem is I'm 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 just having a a, a slight problem in terms of formulating the the full team. Yep. yep at yep. this point in my head, um, so and for some reason, okay, so this okay, so Paulo Duque had the twenty-ish home runs one year and then not a lot after that. So Paulo Duque. Yep. And for the life of me, now trying to remember. So, um, Sean Green, they already. So, Brian Jordan was there, but had decent power. Third base was Beltre. Um, oh I'll God. say again go uh, up the middle. Maybe not in the infield, though. Right. No, no. I'm I'm having trouble remembering who the center fielder was, which is a problem. So, 
So I know the next year. Oh, it's Dave Roberts. Yep. Nice. There you go. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> nice. All right. That's it for uh, trivia. The second uh, question, not trivia. At first oh, glance. Wait, be- oh, be- yeah. Be- yeah, be- yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, f- I forgot to mention this because he mentioned the 50-year anniversary of 72. So a couple reasons, a couple things. I, I wrote about that 72 team, and it, trust me, I didn't write about like the <laughs> the lack of home runs, so it's not like I studied that part of it. But it was more because that was like the last time the Dodgers and Giants were like both in this big of a race like in September um, as they were in, in this last year. So – um, oh wait, was it 70? Oh wait, was I thinking 71? Hmm. Okay. I'm conflating two things. Ignore that part. 72 strike. Uh, at the end of the year, I, uh, I don't remember which team. I think it was, I think the Tigers won the American league East by a half a game over the Red Sox. I believe that's right. I know it was a half a game. I just don't remember the exact teams. I think it was Tigers over Red Sox, but it was only because they played one more game <laughs> because of the, because of the stubbornness of not. And we should we really should mention real job. quick. And you know, all baseball games are hard, but the Dodgers, you know, should it only be the six games, are missing two home stands against the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Yeah, seven games, seven games against those two teams. And Ooh. so, joking, uh, someone uh, I forgot their full schedule for part of April was like. Um, it was like, I think before they play the Braves or something, and it was like a really easy 17 games. I was like, oh, 15 and two start gone by the wayside. But no, uh, the, oh, so another thing about the, the strike. So Manfred in his press conference said, um, players won't be paid for the missed games. And that's going to be a point of contention. It's just another thing they have to bargain because it's, it's, it's going to be a, do we make the games up? And B, do we get paid for a full season? So the players are going to definitely argue that. So it's another point of bargaining now that there's games missed. So it's going to add another layer of annoyance to this entire thing. At first glance, one might think having 14 teams in the postseason would mean more opportunities for small market teams to sneak in. But I think it just guarantees that teams like the Dodgers, Yankees, and Cardinals, who are usually 500 teams, get to advance as opposed to the Marlins, Pirates, or Orioles qualifying for the playoffs. Besides diluting the long regular season, what are your thoughts on expanding the postseason? I mean, he's right. That's, you know, uh, essentially. Uh, it's 14 teams is a lot. Um, it seems bad if it gets to that. Um, that I think that's why at least in the 12-team proposal, or at least the one that's been leaked where the top two seeds get buys and then the uh, the the other the other division winner and the three wild cards get uh, have series a wild card series, and it's been bandied about. I don't know if the have you did you see the thing about the ghost win um, scenario? No. Um. Okay. So wait. So may, maybe maybe explain what you mean. I haven't heard it. I haven't referred to anything. Have not heard anything referred to as a ghost win, but. So yeah, that I love it just for the term. Um, but the I'll look. I'll, I'll include this in the notes. But um, it, it, I think it's for the wild card round. So for for the wild card round, it gets played. It's the it's giving the advantage to the the higher seed. 
Um, and I don't remember if that was only a part of the 14 team thing or whatever, but essentially it is that, or maybe it was just for the, the, the division winners in that round rather than like wild card versus wild card, but just in general, if you're a division winner playing a wild card team in the wild card round and it's a best of three series and I think Maybe at only the one home site, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily part of the deal, but let's, let's say it's a three game series. Um, the, the division winner start, he doesn't, they don't start with a win in hand, but they have to win two out of three to win the series. Mm -hmm. The, the wildcard team has to sweep. Yeah, to win. I, I believe the KBO does something similar for their yeah. playoffs, but even to a more extreme degree. Um, yeah. And I I really like, maybe not necessarily this specific plan, but something like that, that where, all right, we'll expand the postseason, uh, 12 teams or 14 teams, you have a shot, but you have a much, much harder road. And right, and, and, and that's what they sort of want. They want to, for the competitive part, they want to reward success over the long haul with an, an actual advantage rather than just right and like those teams should field. barely hope you know if it's designed right should barely win but when they do it's an exciting story um, and also but mm -hmm. i i sort of i i aside from ghost win being an awesome name um <laughs> i i like it much better than like the 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 simple alternative of um team starts ahead one nothing so mm -hmm. they only have to win. They still have to win two games to win the series, right? So like it's, um. But actually, wait, um, am I thinking of it wrong? Because, hmm, maybe I, I, I'll find the details. But that wouldn't make sense, right? So if yeah. you have to win two games to win the series, and so that means if you win one, the the other team could still win. I th I think it was just the perhaps the it's an extra just, game. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows? But I'll, I'll find the details. We'll include the notes. But just the idea of a ghost one. But yeah, I wrote about this. So the 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 14 team scenario was like been has been rumored for like a couple years to the point where I I wrote this for the uh, espionation.com in like February of 2020, like before I sort of went back to like team site stuff full time. Um, and it was the same thing. Like it, it, you're rewarding like mediocrity in a way. Like it, you look back on the wild card era, the, the wild card game era um, where there were two wild cards. So, um, and you looked and who would make the playoffs under that rough system. Um, I think there were, Four, I think it was four under 500 teams made it, but it also, um, it added six 90 win teams, but that included two from like, I'm, I'm forward including this year. I think the, um, the blue Jays and one other team would have made it. And I think the. Oh man, there was some scenario where <laughs> the funniest scenario of all this was that even like the the Mariners who won 90 games for like the first time in a long time like they they did not they would not have made the playoffs under the expanded uh they would have made it under let's see 1 2 3 
four, five, six, counting is just super. They would have made it under the 14-team system, but not the 12-team system. So uh, that that's pretty funny, but uh, in a in a bad way. But yeah, that so not a fan generally because it waters down. But it, if they figure out a way to like give an actual advantage, it's more palatable. Pace of play, adapting use of shifts, and universal DH are all ideas to improve the game. I think the biggest change would be lowering the number of strikeouts. If you look at this number of uh, pitchers who had at least 10 innings and 9 strikeouts uh, per 9, uh, there were 44 pitchers uh, with that in 2000. 20 t- in 2010, there was 111. There was 206 in 2017 and 307 in 2021. This would be a long-term project because it involves how your organization teaches hitting. Do you think it is too late to change this trend? Um, I mean, you could, I think you could probably tweak it. You just have to like, it's, it's, I guess you have to reward contract contact more. Um, cause it's not all approach, right? It, there are like pitcher, um, pitchers have gotten really good at like, um, stuff and, and using maybe the limiting options, um, thing would make it less likely. And also I would, if they just have the regular rules in place where they, they were going to go back with this two years ago, but the pandemic sort of, um, put it on the wayside of having like pitchers IL stints last 15 days instead of 10 and option periods for pitchers be 15 instead of 10. So it reduces the back and forth and like the just churning of relievers. So if you have a reliever who has to like, it's always like, give us your absolute hardest, best every single time. If you can get to a point where their, their pitchers do actually have to pace themselves to either, um, last for their period on the roster or um uh because uh starters are uh gonna be asked to pitch more innings so they they don't they're not like just going full bore for like three and two thirds and then they get pulled uh that's part of it i think the 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 um limiting the shift i i i'm in generally i'm generally against legislating the game part play you know of it I don't like it, but I do think, um, like limiting the shift probably would help. There's, there might be an unintended consequence thing here, but it's, I think it's worth like exploring. I know it's hard because they, they did it only for like partial year in parts of the minors and it's hard to get like definitive data, but I, I think things like that would help. Or even if it's just like, if, if, if limiting the shift includes like, having only three people in the outfield because you know a lot of the shift is like they take away those um like the the ground balls into short right or whatever or because there's a rover there or something like that or like you've seen like Manny Machado catching like a fly ball down the right field line (laughs) and he's a third baseman um so limiting that kind of stuff and and like to just get some of those to actually things to actually fall as hits maybe that's that's how it happens but yeah it's it's uh it's gonna take a lot but i think they have to sort of try and that that's that's probably the way to do it at least that i can think of 
The Yankee announced recently that they are retiring Paul O'Neill's number this season. He had a fine career, and he played on four World Series title winners in the late 90s. And the Yankees lead Major League Baseball in that particular area, which uh, Eric wrote about in 2017. If any Dodger, any recent Dodger, excuse me, fits the Paul O'Neill mode, quality player of postseason success, that would be Justin Turner. Of these three players, Fernando Valenzuela, Mike Piazza, and Justin Turner, which one has the best chance of joining the retired numbers at Dodger Stadium? Um, I would say Fernando. Um, hopefully because they eventually cave on that because they have, they have retired his number. They yeah. just didn't, haven't done it without the honor. Um, I think uh, there's still a pissing contest between uh, Piazza and the team in terms of like, you know, his departure. So I think that's, that'll probably take time to, um, you know, sort of fix. And I think, you know, if, if they relax, the have to make the hall of fame rule like i don't think they would do it for turner first before valenzuela right so like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's why i think it would be fernando only because of a timing thing because it would take you know um i think it would just take a while so um but yeah we so we know the next number that retired will be gil hodges right um not officially announced, but like yeah, it's like, going to be. It, I think they happen. released something that kind of like hinted at it, right? Yeah, Caston was like, we look forward to honoring him yeah. this coming year. So I can't imagine what that would be other than. Do you think the strike 14. is all about retiring Gil Hodges' number? Someone and someone in <laughs> they're the, like, the you know office. what? <laughs> we are not having number fourteen retired. No. Uh, yeah. And that, then, so the, I have a question. So it'll be fourteen. Yeah. Uh, do you yeah. think twenty-two is the next one, or do you think Fernando gets there before then? So, I th- I don't remember. I'm gonna have to look this up because I'll link to it in the show notes. But there was the. I realize it's weird for the Dodgers to retire Will Clark's number when he right. Played, well, but, it, te- it technically is because that's why Clint yeah. Kershaw wears it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the there was one report. I I think it was like I don't remember who it was. Like a former teammate of Kershaw thinks. Kershaw will either pitch for the Rangers or retire. Um, so, like, the the answer here would be clearly Kershaw because they'll just retire it next year <laughs> because he's he moves on. Um, but, no, I don't – I mean, it's still, it's still him, though. Like, it's still going to be – he's going to be the next, I think, almost no matter what, like, because they don't have any other mm-hmm. Hall of Famers in the pipeline. I, I, I sort of think – they should retire Adrian Beltre when he makes it. I don't think they will. Um, I'm also, I've sort of gone on this aside from just um, Fernando who like clearly deserves it hall of fame or not. I would, I would uh, like them to actually relax the rule just generally. And I, I'm, I'm on in favor of like a, a sort of large number, which would be funny because, I think the entire infield, all four players, including Bill Russell, just because they're important as a group, they should have their number retired. But then Justin Turner also fits the bill. And like, so you'd have two number 10 third basemen retired, which is funny. Um, But like, yeah, like, and you you go back like Willie Davis, um, you know, you you get to it like Maury Wills, for instance, uh, Oral Hershiser. 
Um, and so it, it gets it, Don Newcom. Every, everyone would say like, well, they're going to run out of numbers. No, they won't. It's fine. Like, you know, and then it's like, so like eventually someone will have to retire like 83 because they're awesome or something like, in, you know, in, in certain years. But I don't, I'm, I'm not worried about them running out of numbers if they, if they have say 25 retired numbers. So it's not that big of a deal. First off, I recently smoked another brisket for a Super Bowl watch party, and I hope that sometime in 2022, I can have you both over to try some. Now, to this week's final question. Which of the following condiment sauces dips are you more likely to make as opposed to purchase ready-made? You ready? We'll, we'll, sure. go, we'll go in order. Guacamole. Um, actually, make. I don't like guacamole, but um, if it's... I, I, would, I would eat guacamole I made over guacamole i bought i really don't like guacamole so i'm skipping barbecue sauce uh i think i would oh i've never made it for one (laughs) like um i think i would i'm more likely to buy it than than make it i think before i had joe's kansas city barbecue sauce this is a thing i probably would have pursued heavily because i really like barbecue sauce but so many that I have, I don't like. There's something I wish it was sweeter, or wish it was hotter. And then the two Joe's barbecue sauces, the two main ones are there's a regular and a spicy, are just so close to perfect that I could. There's nothing I would change. So I'm I'm good. I don't need to make it anymore. I I will say in in my fridge right now, and I believe I still have another bottle in the cupboard. Um, I have two bottles of of Joe's barbecue sauce that you sent me over the last couple of years. So like. They they are excellent. I will double down on that. It'll be delicious. I'm 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 happy for you. Uh salsa. Uh I I love making salsa. I've made salsa a lot. Um I actually do make it more than buy it. I will I'm more likely to purchase um like a hot sauce type mm-hmm. thing than salsa, but I've made salsa a lot. I did purchase the um, um, xanthan gum. I think it's called xanthan gum. Um, it's like a thickener. Yep. Because I do want to make uh some like a vinegar based hot sauce here soonish, so I will be doing that. But like, yeah, I I, I love making that stuff. Um, that that's that's probably the thing, in terms of sauces that I make the most. Um, so I I am allergic to cilantro, so I have to be real careful with salsa. So I. Both this and the next one I'm going to ask are both things I've never made myself. You know, I've helped make you sure. with Melissa Pico de Gallo, but like a real, uh, what I, you know, something a little more uh, sort of liquidy, I guess, um, mm-hmm. would be a lot of fun to, to try and make, especially since I could just exclude the, the cilantro and up up on maybe some, uh, some of the things I like more, like peppers. Um so yeah, maybe I'll try that. And the same thing with marinara. I've never made my own marinara, despite the fact that it's completely up my alley. It's something I would really enjoy making and kind of perfecting my recipe over time. Uh, a thing I love to do with salad dressings. Um, my mm. Italian vinaigrette is, I've gotten it perfect uh, for me at least. And I, yeah, I'd love to do that with salsa and marinara. So Craig, Craig might be inspiring a, uh, a little project for me over the next few months. Uh, last month I did make a, um, sort of a Sunday sauce marinara. That's the first time I've ever made it. 
and I, it, the whole thing, it started with like mirepoix and then like um, meats. Uh, I had some sausage and a couple pork chop or a pork chop, I guess, in there. And it was slow uh, simmer for like six hours or whatever it was. Or it was a long time on the stove and it was really good. And I still have some um, in my fridge. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, the closest we got, and I say we, my, my brother did most of the cooking. Uh, he made a... The, it was a recipe for a pumpkin bolognese, but we used, I think, acorn Ooh. squash instead because we couldn't find a, a, a cooking pumpkin. Um, and it w- wasn't as low of a slimmer, but it did take a, a few hours. It was delicious. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm inspired I'm, and hungry, <laughs> as, I, as I, is tradition. I, I, haven't, um, I've del- I haven't delved much into salad dressing. Um, I'll, uh, I'll I, send you my recipe. I've, I have worked on this. That sounds good. I was going to say, I did, like, a couple weeks back, made a very small amount of a, like, it was essentially like a honey mustard vinaigrette. Uh-huh. And, and it was good. It was fine. You know, like, but I, I was just like, it seems like really, and oh, I think also I wanted to do it. I was thinking about making, um like, a blue cheese as well. I think I still had some blue cheese crumbles, like, uh, like the leftover, and I was going to make that. So I'm staunchly anti-mayo, but um, <laughs> I, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think I, like, I'm, I, I have not done this yet, but I, I'm to the point where I will consider having it in my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> just at least <laughs> as a, as a no, thing. I, to, I am, I am, you are, you and I are simpatico on the mayonnaise phase where there's a part yeah. where you add enough to mayonnaise and it becomes great. Uh, but yeah, you have I was to like, add the right amount. Otherwise, it's just, uh, otherwise it, it's blue cheese tasting mayonnaise, which is gross. But if you add a, just enough, it transforms. Yeah, there's it's it's the uh, it's the what is it? Um, that's the like it's the emulsification of it, right? Where yeah. it like actually becomes like a a saucy consistency or a like uh, something that's that's really good mayonnaise just has this tang that i find very off-putting and when you put enough flavor to override that you just get you get a little bit of it which is fine and you get the wonderful consistency that mayonnaise has so uh it but again you need to need to work with it so So, i i've attempted this and i i when i mentioned that if you fail, it's a failure. Uh, it was a failure. I it was mayonnaise that had blue cheese in it, so I need to perfect that recipe. But my Italian vinaigrette, I'm very happy with. Yeah, looking forward to making it. That sounds good. Cool. Well, that's that's this week. Uh, you know, I'm in a good mood after uh, <laughs> a really not good mood subject to start this podcast. We are. Uh, this episode is explicit, but not as explicit as I expected it to be because we're both adults and we handle things rationally and. We're going to channel our anger into making sauces and dressings and all sorts of stuff because there's no baseball to watch right now, so we have time on our hands. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Hopefully this gets you through at least uh, an hour or so of your non-baseball day, and we will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Hopefully there's a little bit better news to talk about.